closing of 2022 and the beginning of 2023, uh, my sister texted me last night at about 11.30 and asked if I was going to be ringing in the new year, and I said, no, I'll be in bed. Um, and, I, and she said, oh, come on, just a few more minutes. And I said, uh, I'm, I'm going to bed. I'll say hello to it in the morning. It'll be here whether I want it to or not. So uh, and it doesn't need my recognition. Uh, so uh, it arrived, sure enough, and I woke up this morning, and it was 2023. Uh, for me, uh, I've shared this before, but uh, I don't think I've ever uh, thought of time as circular uh, we mark it in a circular way. It's, it's a new year. Uh, but to me, in my mind, as long as I can remember, I always thought of time as linear. Um, I was born. Uh, I'm living. We might mark the years of my life circular, but they are not circular. I don't get to start back as a baby this year and grow up and start back as a baby. It's linear. I'm older every year. And at some point, the life in this world will be concluded for me. And so... Uh, time is linear. Even eternity uh, is linear. It's unending, uh, but it is linear. It is moving. Uh, maybe, maybe you could make the argument, no, eternity is the absence of time, and uh, that's, that's a good argument. Uh, but it's a, different, it's a different kind of observance for me. Uh, I wrote this in my introduction this morning. Uh, at 11.59 last night, the last 60 seconds of 2022 ticked away and the 365th day of 2022 came to its conclusions while at midnight the first day of 2023 began. I was asleep. Uh, I had no sensation of the passing of time. It was passing one second at a time and as a matter of tradition many around the world were more attentive to the hands of a clock. But at 12.01 a.m. on January the 1st, 2023, perhaps no one felt any different than they did at 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, 2022. Still, those closing and opening seconds did come and they did go. If the Lord tarries another year, we will watch them come and go again next New Year's Eve. But, these, but those we marked last night are in the past. A new year is not a do-over of those seconds, months, hours, days, or years. They are the past. If the Lord is gracious, we will have many more days, and we may even attempt to make more of those days, but the days of 2022 are past. Instinctively, we feel that there is some significance to that, even if we can't articulate it. Uh, I had a, we had a professor at Fruitland who's also the president of Fruitland as well. Many of you will remember Kenneth Ridings, uh, but I remember Kenneth Ridings preaching a sermon on the Lord's Prayer. And he preached the whole sermon uh, on the phrase, give us this day our daily bread. And he made great effort to communicate that that's a daily bread. Uh, you just get the bread for today. You don't get tomorrow's bread today, and you don't get yesterday's bread today. You get today's bread today. That's what he's asking for. Give us today the bread for today. And if you don't get the bread for today, you can't come back tomorrow and get yesterday's bread, and you can't hoard up the bread from all those days before and get it on one day. It only comes on a daily basis, and you have to consume it that day, and that's what the Lord is saying. Give us this day our daily bread. And it just really resonated in my spirit because 
uh, I'm sensitive and getting more so as I grow older of the clicking away of that time and the reality that you don't, you don't get that back. Now, God is very gracious and God has been very merciful in 2022. And, and he may, for more time in 2023, give you more time, more seconds on the clock, but you don't get those back. What's, what's happened in those is in the past. Now, we can learn from it. Uh, we ought to certainly be shaped by the passing of those times and, and, and with God's grace not repeat the same errors in 2023 as we did in 2022. And the hope is that we would mature more in Christ in 2023. But you can't go back and do those days again. And to me, that's what really comes to bear uh, on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Uh, you don't get that time back. I was sharing with the kids this morning um, it very, very rarely enters into their mind that time is ticking away. The younger they are, the more they're in the moment. In fact, I've said I admire about children sometimes that they live in the moment. Uh, I've been fascinated before with children who have serious diagnosis of cancer or something like that down at uh, Children's Brenner's, Brenner's Children's Hospital. And you go in and you see those children and they have a terminal uh, illness. Uh, the prognosis is not that they will survive this. But if they feel good, they're having a wonderful time. They're not thinking about tomorrow and they're not thinking about how bad they felt yesterday. They are in the moment. That is that moment. That clock is ticking and they're not in the least bit aware of the fact that it's clicking by or that there's more time ahead. They are living in the moment of that time. And I've always admired that to some degree. Obviously, there's not much wisdom in that in regards to preparing for the future and learning from the past. But, but I envy them in that they can live in the fullest uh, of the moment. If they felt good, they rejoiced. If they were in pain, they wept and they lived in the moment. They didn't fantasize about the next moment or the next day. They lived fully in the moment. And I've always thought, Lord, I want to be that way. Not that I'm ignorant of tomorrow, not that I'm ignorant of the past. I want to learn of all those things and I want to have a view looking forward to eternity. But Lord, let me live the fullest I am able to live in this single day. And that's what New Year's always reminds me of. In Psalm 90 was the text I wanted to share with you this morning in the verse that began my inclination to go to that text was verse 12 where Moses writes, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. It's an interesting psalm. In fact, uh, it is believed to be, generally believed to be the very first psalm ever uh, recorded as far as in terms of scripture. Uh, it is definitely uh, the first psalm uh, of all those included in the book of Psalms. The, the, the psalms are not listed in chronological order. And so this is also a psalm of Moses. It's the only psalm of Moses in all of the scriptures. And so it's interesting to me that Moses should say in his psalm, Lord, teach us to number our days. I've used this text a lot at funerals. And I may have even referred to it on a New Year's message in the past. But it struck me in regards to that verse. Because that's what I, 
I feel as though I'm in need of in New Year's. When I think about those seconds ticking away last night as we approach the hour of midnight and as I think about those seconds leading into the new year and all the possibilities involved in those things, I'm, I'm mindful that I'm, I, was not, I was not acutely and continually aware last year of the seconds ticking away. I was not mindful of my days. And so that's what I want to be more mindful of. And that's the exhortation as we begin this new year. So let's read Psalm 90 together. Uh, I love the heading. Uh, It's not necessarily a part of the psalm, but an editorial note, but a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday and when it passes by or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood and they fall asleep. In the morning, they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning, it flourishes and sprouts anew. And toward evening, it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. That was such a moving verse for me. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow for soon it is gone and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Then he writes, so teach us to number our days, that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Do return, O Lord, how long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us this morning to be mindful of even the moments that are ticking by as we speak. As we're gathering here, Lord, every 60 seconds, a minute of our life is gone. And we have no promise or no communication of how many minutes we have left. And Father, as Moses prays in this psalm, Lord, we pray this morning, help us, teach us to number our days. We ask these things in Christ's name for his sake and glory. Amen. If I can give you a little background, Moses, uh, it is believed, wrote this psalm near the end uh, of the 40 years wilderness wanderings. Now, Moses has been with the people of Israel for 40 years. 
Uh, he led them out of Egypt through the mighty hand of God. They saw the miraculous works of God. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the plagues uh, brought on upon Egypt and their deliverance from Egypt. They had been eyewitnesses to the power and majesty and glory of God. They had even gone to Mount Sinai or Horeb, where God appeared there in a cloud and, and there were lightnings and thunder. He so, so awesome was the sight that the people of Israel said, we don't want to hear his voice anymore, Moses. You go up and you hear what he has to say and you come and tell us. So glorious it was that when Moses came down from that experience, he was glowing as it were to the point that the people were frightened in regards to Moses and his exposure to the glory of God. And so he comes down and gives them the command. All through the wilderness, they were led, as it were, by a, a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke by day. They lived their lives for 40 years wandering in the wilderness. By the way, they, it took, would have taken them about a month to get from where they were delivered to the promised land border and they had come there by the hand of God. And when they had the opportunity to go in and to trust the God whom they had seen working so mightily to give them the land, the spies returned with a report. And the people said, we can't take the land. It's full of giants. And there are violent people there and powerful people there. We can't take the land. And because of that rebellion, God sent his people back out into the wilderness. And 40 years were going to pass as they were there. I thought about when Moses wrote this psalm, he had already experienced the death of all of his companions. That generation was not going to inherit the promised land. Their children would, but all that generation that rebelled against God's order there at the promised land would all fall in that wilderness. Around and around and around they would go in the wilderness, living day by day by the provision of God through manna and quail and all other things. They were dependent upon God for every moment of their survival, 40 years, and even then were rebellious, worse worshiping golden calves. And Moses has lived through all of this. He's been an eyewitness of it. He's watched as his companions and probably dear friends died there in the wilderness, never having inherited the promised land, having come out of Egypt with him with rejoicing and great song and great glory to God. Still, he watched his companions dying in the wilderness. And Moses himself had been taken up to Mount Pisgah's heights and looked over into the promised land only to be told that he would not be going there with them, that he would die and be buried on that side of Jordan. So Moses has lived this life. And this is his prayer. This is his song. It's the only song we have from Moses. And that's not insignificant that this is the one that comes through. And so in verse 12, when he finally gets to the beginning of his petition here, he uses the word so. And when you read that, that ought to make you think on the basis of whatever has gone before in the song. Whatever he has said before, he understands as the provocation for this petition. So. Now he goes on to say, teach us to number our days. Well, something in the mind of Moses is provoking in him this understanding that I need to, we need to know, we need to be taught how to number our days. And that's what he's going back to. But look at what he says. He begins by rehearsing in his own mind 
First, the Lord's sovereignty and His eternality. But He says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. They had no dwelling place in the wilderness. They had lived 400 years in Egypt. That's not their place. They were a captive people. They had no dwelling place. And for 40 years, Moses has been leading the people of Israel around, pitching tent and breaking tent as the Lord directed day by day, night by night, week by week, month by week for 40 years. And Moses is looking back over all that time and realizing we had no dwelling place here. You are our dwelling place. That's, that's where we've lived You are our dwelling place. He goes on to say, for all generations, not only has this generation dwelt in you, but Lord, from the beginning, from your call of our father Abraham out of the, out of the, or the Chaldees, you have been the place where we dwell. No matter what land we were in, we never could find ourselves able to take root and security in the land. You are where we dwell. Moses knows that, and he saw it borne out now for 40 years. This desert is not our dwelling place. These tents are not our permanent dwelling places. We are itinerant people. We are pilgrims. You are our dwelling place. Moses recognizes that. And then he speaks to his eternal existence. Verse 2, he says of God, this one God who has been their dwelling place, he says, before the mountains were born or before you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's our dwelling place. Before there was ever a place in which to dwell on the earth, He was our dwelling place. For generations, He's been our dwelling place. In fact, before the world was formed, He is God and only He is God. Hear me now. Moses, in his experience, is rehearsing these realities in regards to God. He knows God. He's been up on the mountaintop. He's been up to Sinai, and he's communed with God. He's the one who was told to take his sandals from his feet in the presence of the Lord. He's the one whom the Lord hid in the rock and passed by in his glory. Moses knows God, but he also has lived 40 years now watching the people of God wonder throughout the wilderness in their rebellion. But the God who is providing for them moment by moment and day by day is the God who was and is and who always will be. The God who was before the mountains were formed and before the earth was formed. He is the God from everlasting to everlasting. And Moses says, you are God. We have no other. We have no other. Couldn't help but think of Moses when he came, went up on the mountaintop and he came back down and, and the people had compelled Aaron and Aaron had yielded to, to cast all their things and gold things together and to fashion a golden calf. I couldn't help but think when Moses was writing that, that was in his mind. These people in a moment, in just a few days, went from you being our God to putting together their golds and manufacturing a golden calf and bowing down and rising up to play and to commit all sorts of debauchery in the presence of this golden calf. Even in that rebellion, oh God, you are God. You are God. And Moses has lived among the people who were idolaters even in the presence of that very God. Verse 3, 
He thinks in terms of God's eternality in, ter- uh, in relationship to our finiteness, as it were. He says of him, you turn man back into dust. Man came from the dust. God raised us up from the dust and breathed into our nostrils through Adam the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And he says of here, of this same God who brought us into existence from the dust, he sends us back to the dust. Our times are in the hands of God. I read this. In fact, I listened to Steve Lawson preached on this particular text. And in fact, after I read it, I thought, well, I'll just come and play his sermon because it was almost verbatim of what the Lord had impressed upon me here. But Steve Lawson says, here, it's significant that Moses says, he doesn't say cancer sent you to the dust. He doesn't say the murderer sent you to the dust. He doesn't say the, the, the poverty sent you back to the dust. He sends you back to the dust. He is sovereign of our days. In fact, 139 says before you lived a single one of them, they had already been numbered. You and I, by the way, are living out the number. You don't know what number that is. You know when they began in this world because that's your birthday. But you are living those out one by one. And every one of those days is clicking by this morning second by second. And you don't know if the last second is now in the next second. Or you don't know if it's 30 years or 40 years or 50 years from now. But you are living out a finite existence in this flesh, in this body, on this earth. That's not depressing. That's, to me, in some ways, liberating. And that's the God that Moses is speaking of and speaking to here. And in light of that God, this God says to man, go back to the dust. And he says to them, return. He means back to the dust, O children of men. God is in time, charge, and sovereign over our days. Verse 4 He says with God, this was interesting to me, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. He sees sees in the past a thousand years to him are like yesterday when it goes by. And then he makes another comparison here. It's like a watch in the night. That's three or four hours. A thousand years to this God are like three or four hours. And I think that's just the psalmist Moses' attempt to describe the eternality of God and the transitoriness of man and of our times. It is, it is, he sees more than a thousand years. He sees the whole of it all at once. He sees the 10,000 years past or a thousand years past and a thousand years forward all at the same time. He exists outside of the unfolding of those years. He sees them all very clearly. And so your number and my number are written out by God, as it were, amongst those thousand-year blocks. None of us are going to be living a thousand years from now. But he sees those thousand years as though they were yesterday and they're already past. And he sees them as a watch in the night. They're unfolding right before his omniscient eyes, as it were. He sees those things. This is the God that Moses is thinking about that is going to provoke the prayer of verse 12. Verse 5, he says of them, and I couldn't help but thinking he was thinking about their experience in the wilderness. He says, you have swept them away like a flood. 
Uh, the idea there is a flash flood, and especially in that area of the world, they had these wadis and, and just little channels, and they would be dry, basically riverbeds. But then all of a sudden, a great storm would come, and they would so quickly fill those, and it would become a raging torrent down those riverbeds and wash everything in its path away. You see some of that in our desert here in America. I've seen videos before of people getting caught out in Utah in these little wadis in a flash flood. And if you're in the way of that, it is sweeping you away. And he says of man, he says some of them are taken away like a flood. They're, they're about their own business and all of a sudden the torrent and the rage comes and they're swept away. They have no power or strength to resist the flood. And then of others, he says, they fall asleep. They fall asleep. In fact, some people believe, I think Lawson mentioned this as well, but some people believe he's referring to the lost being swept away, the defiant and the rebellious swept away, but the believers and those who trust in God are as though they were falling asleep. But in either case, they have been called or summoned back to the dust by their creator. This is the God of Moses. This is the God, by the way, under whom, in whose sight, the people of Israel have spent 40 years resisting and grumbling at the provision of their God as they survived in the wilderness. That's what Moses has experienced, 40 years of it. And he provoked to write a song about the experience he says of these as well, another analogy. In the morning, we, these, these human beings, these rebellious people of yours, in the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. That's a, kind of the reference to the flood there. But when the water comes on those soils, a lot of times the, the grass from the surface will spring up and it looks like it's full of life and vibrant and green and it contrasts with the darkness of the sand or the, or the rustic color of the desert sands and this grass springs up. He says, we're like that. But then it says, towards evening, in the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew, but toward evening it says, it fades and it withers away within the space of 12 hours. What looked full of life and vibrant and dynamic and, and nourishing within a matter of 12 hours, 10 hours, began to wilt towards the end of the day when the summer heat had bared down upon it and by sundown it was laid over and it's not to be seen the next morning. He's talking there about the brevity of your life in comparison to the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. Moses, this is why I said Moses has watched this happen over and over again. I couldn't help when he's talked about being swept away of those who defied the, uh, God in the midst of the desert and the Lord opened up the desert and swallowed thousands of them in that very moment. The earth swallowed them. And Moses, remembering that, says they are swept away like a flood. But then there are others whose life just was fresh and new and vibrant and strong and, and it dwindled away towards the evening and I couldn't help but thinking he was thinking about all of his companion and his brothers and, and people who he loved as he watched them lie down and close their eyes in this world for the last time. Some have fallen asleep but all have returned to the dust as he says earlier. In verse 7, he seems to understand why this has been the case because he says of this experience of his, this 40 years wandering, for we have been consumed, eaten away, uh, 
Consumed, taken up, as it were, by your anger and by your wrath, we have been dismayed. Their constant rebellion in the wilderness and God's heavy hand upon them of discipline, even demonstrative of his love for his people, but at the same time, anger and wrath at their rebellion against the gracious God who delivered them and showed them many mighty works. And Moses says, we're being consumed by that wrath and that anger. In fact, in verse 8, he says of this God that you have placed our iniquities before you. Lord, you see them. You see our hard-heartedness and our stubbornness. I'm often struck by the fact that we might have been better had we seen our God's mighty deliverance and the Red Sea parted. Would we have been the ones who would have said later on, we were better off in Egypt. Our captivity was preferable to this difficulty in the desert. And my conclusion is, yes, that's exactly what we would have done. And that's what they did. And that is their iniquity. And Moses says, Lord, it is ever before you. You see our rebellion and our stubbornness and our hard-heartedness before all the unfolding all of these 40 years. You see that. And our secret sins, he says, in the light of your presence, you see all. In verse 9, he says of that, for all of our days, uh, it struck me that he says our days have declined. Our, 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 the quality of our days or the number of our days has diminished. It hasn't increased in the hope and optimism hasn't grown and the quality of our lives haven't grown. They're declining. They're declining in your fury. The wrath of God and the anger and the judgment of God upon his people had caused the, the, the downward spiral, as it were, of their lives and they feel the weight of that. Their iniquity before him. In verse 9, it almost brings me to tears because Moses there, from his own experience and that of the people there, he says, we have finished our years like a sigh. Every time I read that in the past of my Christian life, I have the imagery in my mind of a people weighed down by their sin and the heavy hands of God, which is letting them experience the consequence of their rebellion and they live out their lives and they're exhausted. And by the time they get up into years, they conclude their lives with a... That's it. Our days are ended with a sigh. That's our exclamation point on a life of rebellion and resistance against the God who brought us into the world. That is the experience of Moses as he observed the people of God delivered by the hand of God, sustained and preserved in the wilderness by the grace of God. This is what he sees verse 10, he says, as for the days of our life, they contain 70 years or if due to strength, 80 years. And this phrase was striking. Yet their pride, you you get what he's saying there? The high point of our lives, if there's 70 or even because of strength, 80 years, the glory of it all is but labor and sorrow. That's the pride. That's all they've got to show for it. You live 70 years, maybe you're stronger than others and you live 80 years. And at the end of that 80 years and you survey over those 70 or 80 years and you look back and you say to yourself, what can be, what is the glory of those years? And your conclusion at that point, his conclusion was labor and sorrow. 40 years they had been wandering in the desert. Resisting God all along the way, periodically. 
God would provide for them. He would give them water from the rock. And God would provide in a, a thousand ways. And their clothes weren't worn out. They were being sustained moment by moment. But they were impatient. And they were grumbling in regards to the way God chose to provide for them in that wilderness. So for them, even a long life. The conclusion was that it was labor and sorrow. And then he says, for soon it's gone. 70 or 80 years full of labor and sorrow, and suddenly it's gone. And we fly away. In verse, seven, verse 11 is striking as well, but he says, Who understands, this struck me, the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? Who understands it? When they see what, when we experience what we're experiencing, when we see men swept away and falling asleep, when, uh, when all of our years are pride and, or pride of all of our years is sorrow and labor, when we end our years with a sigh, who sees the power of that anger? Do they understand why it is that way for them? Do they understand why it is that your fury rests upon the people in their rebellion? Do they understand the root of your anger? No, they don't, he says. They don't. Not according to the, to the reverence that is due you. Why are they languishing under the judgment hand of God Almighty because they have sinned against an infinitely holy God who has extended nothing but grace to them in their own deliverance, having chosen them out of a pagan nation to bring them and make them His people. All the mercies of God received by the people of Israel in that moment under Moses' leadership were disregarded in regards to the holiness of God. And he says, they don't understand their wrath upon them, not, not the way they ought to because it doesn't produce in them an appropriate reverence for you. So to me that may add sadness upon sadness. Not only do they not understand it but they don't, they don't have a clue of the reverence that is really due you. And it's, a, it's that act. So they're blinded to the very purpose of their suffering which is to bring them to this reverence. So that's Moses' consideration of all these things provokes him to say, so Lord, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. So the so connects it to everything, the experience in the life of Moses and all that he had witnesses of the people of God, even of himself. And this is his prayer, Lord, teach us to number our days. I want to point out some things about that. It was interesting as well. I recorded a few of these, but uh, the word used here in the Hebrew, manal, was uh, often used in terms of uh, counting grain. Now, anybody here ever tried to count grain? Go get you a bucket of wheat somewhere and count the kernels. You don't count the kernels. When you count grain, what do you do? You weigh it. You, you sift it, you get all the impurities out of it, and you gather it together and you put it on a scale somewhere. That's the word he uses here. So he doesn't mean, Lord, just to help us count our days. There's one, there's two, there's three. There's, there is room for that, but it's in the context of weighing them out. Help me to weigh the significance of today. It has a weight to it. It has a value to it. There is a currency involved in this. It is a gift from you. Help me to be mindful of the significance of it. These were interesting, but one of the definitions was this. To determine 
the intrinsic value or merit of an object. To evaluate, that's what he's saying. Having looked over his past, his own experience, and the people of Israel, their rebellion against God, and the heavy hand of God's severity upon the people of Israel, and ending their days with the sigh, says, Oh, God, help us to find the intrinsic value of a day. Because they'd spent 40 years full of days in the wilderness and apparently had not come to any conclusions in regards to the value of those days. Another one was this, to consider carefully, especially by balancing opposing factors or aspects in order to reach a choice or a conclusion. That's what he means. If you read this passage and you go away today thinking, well, we ought to just keep a calendar, count our days. You got 365 days ahead of you this year. If you live, you live 365 days. That adds up to a certain amount and that makes me two years old or that makes me 80 years old. He means more than just counting the days that have been given to you and wondering about how many more you get. He wants us to weigh. Moses understands that circumstances require that we should be able to weigh the days Think about the days to weigh them out and balance them out and in order to come to some conclusion regarding the days and regarding our life. In a very practical sense, it had this definition. To weigh is to have a certain heaviness. <laughs> They're talking about weighing something like yourself on a scale. But literally, what you're doing is to trying to determine the heaviness of an object when you weigh it, right? The experience to experience a specific force due to gravity, to which, as on a scale, a device for attaining the weight of something. And I thought about that in the context of what Moses, Lord, teach us, Lord, Enable us to evaluate, to feel the force of gravity upon our days so that we might rightly ascertain its value and its weightiness. Do you know the weight of today? In fact, here's why I think it's so weighty this day. Not just this day, but the next second. This is why I think it's so weighty. Because the purchase of it cost Christ on the cross. That's why you're alive right now. Your heart beats another time. You take another breath. It is mercy drawn from the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, you and I are immediately subject and do the, the unfolding of the wrath of God right now at this very moment. So that's the weight of a day. That's the, that's the ascertaining with the right amount of gravity and force to understand the weight of the day that you and I are living in. That's what Moses is asking for here. And it's striking to me that he asked the Lord, teach us. You know what that says to me? It doesn't come naturally to us. It is not inherent in us to, to evaluate the significance of the moment you're living in right now. It does not come naturally to us. We need divine illumination in regards to the weight of the days that we're living. You can't do it on your own. You know what happens when you try? 
I was sharing with Hope recently, we were having a conversation. This is why I think that people go out and do insane things like climb a face of a sheer mountain without any ropes or any safety gear whatsoever. And they thrive, they, they flourish, they, they say, when they achieve their goal. But someday, they fall and they die. And they say that I'm never more alive than I am when I'm near death. That's the worldly man understanding or grasping the passing of his time. And he realized that his life is brief. And to make himself feel more alive, he, he, he tempts fate, as it were, and puts his life at risk. And when he succeeds and he doesn't die, he's alive and he's exuberant and rejoicing. He feels more alive than ever. That's the natural man's response. Moses doesn't want that. Moses says, teach us. He appeals to God for the illumination and for the teaching of us of how to rightly evaluate, evaluate our days. Notice as well, he says the number there, I think he means more than how many of them there are. But by numbering, he means to enumerate. Lord, help us not just to feel the way that today, but tomorrow and the next day, and the day that follows, and the day that follows, and if you give me 70 years or due to strength 80 years, every single day has its weight and its significance. Lord, teach us that. Teach us that. The reason I use this at funerals is because death has a way of becoming an instructional instrument. Uh, I've said this before, but when my grandfather died, the Lord sowed a seed in my heart that never did bear fruit for a long time. But you know what I remember about his funeral service I remember them closing the casket and I love my grandfather and when I closed the casket what caught my attention was the shadow that came over his face as the casket light casket lid blocked out the light so he's in the light here and as it closed the shadow came across his life his his face and then the casket was shut and I remember there was one piercing question in the depths of my soul now what now what is that it? The man so full of life whom I love so deeply, is this the sum total of all of his years? <sighs> is that it? And the Lord worked with that seed and pricked the heart with that reality because I was gnawing question, what is next? Moses says, Lord, teach us. Teach us to number our days. Why does he say this? So that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Lord, cultivate in my heart wisdom so that the wisdom of you, the, the wisdom that you have brought about by opening my eyes to the significance of days will itself be offered back to you and be pleasing in your sight. Wisdom, the fear of the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. So teach us, Lord, to number our days. I'm going to close real quickly with just reading verse 13 and beyond. Do return, O Lord. This is part of his prayer, but I think also an, an expression of his hope. Do return, O Lord. How long will it be? It's been 40 years. How long will it be? And be sorry for your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your mercy or with your loving kindness. 
Why? So that we may sing. Apparently they stopped singing and there was certainly no joy. We want to sing and we want to sing with joy. Teach us to number our days because we can't sing and we can't sing with joy and we can't be glad on our own. But Lord, if you will open our eyes and help us feel the weight and the gift and the mercy and the grace of every single day, oh, it will inspire in our hearts a song and we will sing joyfully and we will be glad. Come, oh Lord. Make this true for us. Make us glad, verse 15, according to the days you have afflicted us in the years that we have seen evil. I love this. Let your work appear to the serve, to your servants and your majesty, to their children. Which is striking because it had been appearing all throughout the 40 years. Quail, manna, water from the rock, deliverance, clothes that didn't wear out his works were evident. And he says here, Lord, make it appear to them. Let them, let them see that it's your work. As far as they know, at the back of the crowd, there's just water flowing out of a rock. They don't know it is a, the intimate work of God providing for them moment by moment. Oh, Lord, help the children to see that it is your works. And then having seen your works, let them see your majesty. Moses had caught a glimpse of that upon the mountain, so much so that it changed Moses forever. And even while he grieved over his own people and knew that he would never go into the promised land with with those who would inherit the promised land, that he would die on that side of Jordan, his heart was broken for the people, but he knew God. He knew God. And he knew what the people were missing. Lord, teach us to number our days. And finally, he ends... Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and confirm or establish. Make the works of our hands have eternal significance. Let it not be a futility. Establish. Make them fruitful, the works of our hands. And he repeats, yes, confirm the works of our hands. Let us work in such a way that produces fruit for you to your glory. So my petition on this New Year's Day Is that for you and for I that the Lord would teach us to number our ways in exactly the way Moses means it. We do this every year on this occasion. But the number of the days of nine of our brothers and sisters in Christ concluded at Diamond Hill in 2022. There's others outside of our membership that concluded for as well. But this is how real this is. Freddie Pierce, Gene Summers, Danny Elkins, Tony Brewer, Bob Holland, Jay Eller, Nell Barnhart, J.D. Goforth, and most recently Jim Sipes. Now, if I preached this last year, it would have been the same exhortation for all of these. Lord, teach them to number their days. And I'm sure none of them concluded that their number of their days would conclude and find its end in this world in 2022. And here's the sobering part. None of us know either whether they will come to an end in 2023. So all the more the urgency, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom that knows it. Feel, Lord, we may present to you a heart that feels the weight of a single day. 
Because in that day, it has a persecutor, which was Christ and the blood of Christ. And in that day, you have a purpose. It is necessary to your work being accomplished in me. So, Lord, let me feel the weight of that day. And let me not squander it in the pursuit of things of this world and of the things of the flesh. Let me devote it all to the pursuit of the God who reveals it and gives that day. So my prayer is that God would bless each of us, each of you, and that he would bless this church in 2023. But I, I believe that blessing would be most administered through his divine work of the Spirit within each of our hearts to make us aware of the days of our lives. Stand with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, when I think about the life of Moses and the heartache he must have known as he watched people that he loved and falling one by one in the wilderness, some by a torrent and others simply falling asleep, their bodies exhausted. Lord, I think of him as he watched the rebellion and the resistance over every, every mercy that you extended to your people and how it must have broken his heart, not only that his people were suffering as a result of that, but also that your glory was somehow diminished or tainted or obscured by their rebellion, and how his heart must have been broken here at the end of their 40-year wanderings. And the prayer that leaves his lips is, Lord, help us to number our days. He doesn't speak of the people of Israel. He speaks of himself included. Help us to number our days. And so, Father, we repeat the prayer of Moses this morning. I pray that you would help us, every person in this room, to feel the weight of a moment, of a second, of a minute, of an hour, of a, a month, and of a year, of a day. And I pray that those days would be devoted wholly to you, more fully as our lives progress according to your grace. Lord, have your way in these moments in our hearts. Father, I trust that your spirit has spoken to hearts already. And Lord, make our hearts responsive to that speaking and to those truths. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.